I don't know how, if you understand. Oh yeah, I'm really crying here. How profound it is to imagine two gods and then to have one. You can't understand that unless you lived it. To embody two gods and then to have one. It's a beautiful thing. This is Sanctified, the Littest Church service where hot girls and holiness align. And we are your hosts. I'm Deborah Joy Winans. I'm a wife, a mother, an actor, but most importantly, I'm a lover. And I'm LaVon Briggs, Emmy Award winner, Joy Chaser, and a Queens girl. And when my old church asked me to wear stockings, I bought fishnets. And this is the kind of church that rocks with the Megan the Stallions just as much as the Mahalia Jacksons. On Sanctified, we center the testimonies of sisters who are figuring out their faith authentically. And we're going to ruffle some of the saints' feathers, y'all. But we will always leave you feeling affirmed and loved. You ready, LaVon? Let's go get them. Thank you so much for being here. We are excited for today's service. Ain't we, LaVon? Mm-hmm. I know this because we always come with the real, real, real. But before we get started, we have a few of those church announcements. We got a few stragglers coming through the door, DJ. Take your time. Look, y'all, we are truly so very grateful for all of the love you've been showing Sanctified. It is affirming and lets us know we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we just want to continue to build and welcome more of you into our little Sanctified community. Mm -hmm. In order to do that, we just need to do a couple things. We need you to hit that follow button so you are notified of everything we do over here at Sanctified. And don't forget to rate us on the Spotify app. So sometimes it pops up, just tap five stars, child. But if it doesn't, you can tap the star underneath the show name and you can rate us there. Also, make sure you tap that bell, honey, so you're notified as every new episode is released. Hey, we need that bell. All right, all right, all right. So today we are talking about the experience of growing up with multiple faiths or learning about multiple faiths later in life. Ooh, child. Let's take it step by step. Yes. Take us away, DJ. Well, first, you know, we're just going to break down what those two words mean. These are two words that will pop up quite a bit in this episode. One is faith and one is religion. And so faith simply breaks down as strong belief in God, or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Mm. It's a feeling. You can't see it, but you still have hope. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, you feel it. It's complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Mm, 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 mm. Now faith. Now faith is the absence of things hoped for. Is the substance of things hoped for. (laughs) Substance, girl! I thought it was the absence of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. (laughs) I'm crying. I thought it was the absence. Well, why are you going to have faith in the absence? Because it's it's, it's what you don't have that you're hoping for. I see what you're saying, but it's what you do want to see. It's the faith of what you hope to see. Well, amen and amen. I shave, beloved. Let me 
tell you something. I'm here to learn. Same, same. Okay, what's up with religion? Religion is the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power. There's that controlling world, child. Especially a personal God or gods. It can be a particular system of faith and worship. So interesting how those words are used in each other's definition. A pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. Mm. Now, this all sounds really weighty and bogged down. And I think I would like to offer a concept that really helps me think about my religion in a different way. So the actual word religion, the etymology of it, it comes from the Latin word ligare, which means to fasten or to bind. And as we all learned in grade school, (laughs) re means to do something again. And so your religion should rebind or refasten you to God. That can be part of your North Star, part of your compass. Like, okay, where am I at in life? Do I feel like I'm continuously being refastened right. to my creator? Exactly. And speaking of compass, what were some of the compasses, or maybe there was only one child that you had when you were growing up, DJ? What faiths or religions were you exposed to as a kid? Oh, honey, one. <laughs> Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. Which I'm very grateful for. That is the core of who I am. That's my foundation. Do I think that would have changed if I was exposed to more? I don't think so. I think I would have been a little more understanding, but it it really didn't hit home for me until I dated a Jewish man some years ago. I was about to graduate from undergrad. He was a wonderful man. He came to visit my church a couple times, met my grandparents. Okay, period. I really didn't think it was going to get to that point. And I remember him telling me that he had told his parents he was dating me, but because I wasn't Jewish, they didn't really want to meet me. And then finally, I think a couple months in, Mm. I guess his parents saw how happy he was. And so we went to dinner and I think it was mainly his father that was like, you know, no, no way, no how. And his father ended up talking about, hey, you want to share some dessert? Mazel tov! And then I remembered him saying, I guess he realized I was someone that he could see his life with. He asked me, would I be willing to have God in our home and not Jesus? And that was where I said, oh, yeah, no, this isn't going to work. What you truly love about me is what Jesus has brought into my life. And so to not have Jesus means you would not be in love with the person I would be. He wouldn't have you. He wouldn't have me. Yeah. The long way to answer your question is I had one faith growing up. Yeah. But what about you? I was raised in the church, but my Caribbean family would do non-churchy things. Like when one of our elders would pass away, we would have what's called a nine night service. It's on the ninth night. That's when we believe that the spirit is transitioning from the earthly realm back to the ancestral realm. And that was not something that I learned about in church, but My people, being from the islands, that's that African retention popping back up. We also celebrated Kwanzaa, and I never really saw Kwanzaa and church together when I was a kid. I did when I was older. Yeah. And it's so interesting that you bring up the fact that you dated a Jewish guy, because when I was in Berkeley for a summer, I met a man from Syria, and we really, really liked each other. But he was the eldest child and the only boy of 14 siblings, and they (laughs) are very Muslim, and he was very much like, I'm marrying a Muslim woman. Like, this will be cute. We can go to Nordstrom. We can get some dim sum. But 
I got to marry somebody else. Yeah. It's so interesting that these stories pop up like this. You know, that's what experience is for. Life is for to share, to learn, to grow. It is because I didn't always have the capacity to share and to learn and to grow. Because when I was in college and I fell in with these born-again Christians, we were very evangelical, conservative, Pentecostal, fundamentalist. And it was to the point where we blocked out anything that wasn't our version of Christianity. I think it became very legalistic. Mm -hmm. But I have a question. Because of how you grew up, when did you start to even become curious about other faiths or religions? And did you feel free at that point to really question it, to learn about them? Or were you ever hesitant to hear about what others believed? I was hesitant at first because when I was a hyper-Christian, like you said earlier, when you see people, it's about love and relationships. I didn't see people as people. I saw human beings as souls that needed to be saved. Everything about my faith was about converting other people. So our college gospel choir president told us once, you know, when you get to heaven, there's going to be a jewel in your crown for every soul that you save. Mm. And so I was like, well, while I'm here, forget this English honors degree. I got to minister to the Dunkin' Donuts cashier and the cab driver. And I got to give out tracks that look like money on the streets. I got to save souls. And I didn't see people. And so once I was like, you know what? This is a lot. There's got to be more to it than this. I started asking questions in Sunday school and Bible study. And I wasn't satisfied with the answers I was getting. Sometimes it would be like the response was a scripture. And I'm like, yeah, but who wrote the scripture? Like, what were they doing? Were they eating cereal when they wrote this? Like, what, what was going on? And so I ended up going to seminary because they were willing to answer the complicated questions that I had. And so I think it's important for us to keep in mind that being a person who holds fast to multiple faiths is traditional across the African diaspora. When I think about a college student who doesn't necessarily feel like going to church, but they know that when Nana calls at 5 p.m., she's going to be like, baby, did you go to church today? <laughs> like, they got to be like, yes. What they preach about? What was the word, baby? You got to be like, yes, mama, I went to church. Even if your Christianity is meeting Buddhism or is meeting Hinduism or what, whatever you're experiencing, right, in your life. I think that exposure to multiple faiths, religions, or religious traditions is not a threat to your relationship with God. I honestly see that as being a strength. Having grown up with with only one, and I love the Lord, you know, that's not going to change for me. I do think that having an understanding of other religions and other ways of thinking would have allowed me to be a bit more understanding of people and where they come from and what things mean to them. I think we get so excited trying to preach something that we forget if we don't love, none of this means anything. What I've learned is I don't have a heaven or a hell to put nobody in. But I do think that when I can love someone, God can use that seed and grow beautiful things from it. So I think exposure, it doesn't change your faith. 
it gives you an understanding of other people's faith. And to me, I think that allows you to be able to love humanity in the way that you should. Absolutely. Which if we studied religious tenets more as opposed to just receiving messages from like the system or the status quo, you will learn that the Abrahamic faiths, right? Because we're talking about Judaism, Islam, Christianity, and there are thousands of others. But for these three, the core tenets are devotion and love and community and growth. But the way that some religions are presented as extremists, it's like, society focuses on like the extreme Muslim, like the extreme Christian. And it's like, where's the balance? You know, where's the blending? Because we come from a tradition where our ancestors practice syncretism. It really irks my nerves when I hear some Black people say, oh, well, you know, they wouldn't have been able to beat Christianity into me. And I'm like, first of all, that lets me know that you don't really get how strong your ancestors were. Because Our ancestors weren't just willingly taking Christianity and soaking it up. They were blending it with their faith and their religious traditions and spiritual practices from the continent. And so this fancy word syncretism, right, is the amalgamation or attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. And I think a lot of Black women are in the process of combining and uniting different spiritual practices. I think that's important because some of us are practicing a multi-faith, but we don't call it that because we don't know that we can do that or we don't know what it is. And it's important right here, DJ, for us to talk about the difference between multi-faith and interfaith, because I think those two terms come up a lot and they are not interchangeable. So I identify as multi-faith, as I said in our ancestors' episode. And that means that there are different systems, religions, beliefs that I hold dear and I pull together to create my own spiritual practice. But to be interfaith means that two or more people who hold different faiths and belief systems are engaging for the sake of unity and community and building and progression. So if I identify as a Muslim and you identify as a Christian and we come together and we talk about women's rights, protecting children, now our work is interfaith. So multi-faith is held within one person. Interfaith is two or more people. Ah, that's good. You know, we got to have an understanding. Mm-hmm. And you can get more work done that way because <laughs> people who really love God, regardless of their religious tag, they're going to want God's people to be free. So yeah, I'm going I'm to rock with them. Let me tell you something. I don't want to be around people that are just like me. Yeah. That say yes to everything I say. I don't think that's what God meant. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't allow you to be in relationship with people. Right. If God loves people the way we've been told, and look, if God loves me, I know God loves everybody. And if that is the truth, then us being extreme and separating means that we think we're better. Mm -hmm. And we're not. We are all children of God. You know, today's conversation is so important because it's not just a story that's here or there. In 2016, the Pew Research Center took a closer look at religious mixing in American families, and they found one in five U.S. adults has been raised in an interfaith home. 
that's a lot of people. That's 20% of the population. First of all, you're quick with numbers. That's amazing. But also that is, that's a lot. That's a lot. Math was not my strong suit. But that <laughs> is, it's much more common than what we thought. It certainly than what I thought. And I think we have to give children a little bit more credit. They are smart and they are able really to discern the sort of faith or religious traditions that make sense for them. Right. More so than what we think they can. And you know, I'm grateful for how I was raised. I didn't have a lot of options presented to me, but what I did have did make sense for me. But now after having my son, I think my prayer is that God, you reveal yourself to him. You know, you allow him to know who you are because his relationship with God can't be based off of mine. That's good, DJ. And so I'm like, God, the same way you revealed yourself to me, reveal yourself to my son. Allow my son to know you uh, the way that you want to be known. And as baby T grows older, baby T is going to have some questions. And I think as children, depending on what kind of environment we're raised in, that questioning, that curiosity can either be nurtured or neutered. And the thing that I love about God is that God is big enough for our questions. So to me, curiosity about different faiths can actually lead you into a deeper relationship with God and with others. Amen. And what I've learned on my journey, Deborah Joy, is that learning about other religions is only a threat when your faith isn't built on a firm foundation. If you are saying that you believe something just because it was what was taught to you or that's what we've always believed, if you don't really believe that thing, that's what needs interrogating. And in that case, that foundation needs to be destroyed and rebuilt. Mm-hmm. And on that note, it's time for testimony service because, y'all, we have got a testifier who can speak directly to what it means to grow up between multiple faiths. Today, we're joined by my darling sis, Khadijah Abdul-Mateen, who is an embodied trauma practitioner, international yoga instructor, and co-founder of the intergenerational healing practice, Unearth and Bloom. Let's hear Khadijah's testimony. My name is Khadija Abdul-Mateen, and this is my testimony. I always say that I grew up with two different languages. My mom speaking tongues, my dad speaking Arabic, and prayer. But all of it was their own relationship and conversation with God. My most vivid memory of my mom being a Christian is loud gospel music. Out of the blue, she would start screaming and shouting and running around the house and speaking in tongues, saying, Thank you, Jesus! And I knew that she look to Jesus to solve all of her problems. My most vivid memory growing up with a Muslim father is that he prayed five times a day. He would pray in the hallway. And so if I come out of the room, I have to wait till he go all the way down and bow his head. And he will make this signal, like giving me permission to go. And then he'll get right back into his prayer. I always thought I had to choose between the two faiths. And it wasn't until I went to divinity school that I was like, well, let me interrogate this. Christianity was so prevalent in my house, although my dad was Muslim. My mom kept us in the church. And so you hear the practices of the church and you know those who are not of the Christian tradition are going to hell. And I couldn't comprehend how my father was such a good man, how he would go to hell. And so it was always very confusing to me. I was going to Senegal, which is 99% Muslim country with a predominantly white Christian organization. The mission of this organization is to evangelize. And then my whole childhood started to come up. 
And I was like, but you were raised Muslim Christian and it doesn't make sense for you to go out there, first with a predominantly white group, to preach the gospel to black folks, essentially, to African people who were Muslim, became deeply problematic for me. And I didn't know why. I knew I had to find out more about spirituality. The first thing I did was look up where Dr. West was teaching. And I didn't know he was teaching at a divinity school. I know Dr. West for being in politics, talking about the political arena of racism, but he was at Union Theological Seminary. I didn't know I had so many questions, but I went to Union and it really blew my mind. My grandmother, my auntie, and my mama all were praying black women, but they also was like sassy, sharp tongue. My grandma had, and I am attempting to be a physical reflection of her, but she had earrings all up her ear, goatee. My daddy in his faith taught me about social justice. Islam really taught me about being for black people. My daddy was also very wise, very logical. And so I took all of that with me to Union. And so what ended up happening for me is that I felt like all the faith that I had was sort of like stripped away. And then I was like, okay, I have no God. How do I want to create God for myself? And I was like, my grandma was pretty cool. And I know they teach me some stuff in theology, but I really like some of the stuff that she talks about within the Bible. I'm going to take that and I want to add that to who I am in relationship to God. I want to keep my spice as a Black woman. I want to keep my demeanor and my poise as a Black woman. And these are the scriptures that I want to keep. I want to keep Psalms 21. I want to keep Psalms 23. I want to keep Psalms 91. I want to keep Psalms 35. And so my daddy prayed all the time, but he also loved his people. And so if that's a part of the God that my dad have, I want that too. I know God for myself because I had to tear God apart and put God together. And then it sort of like spilled out into my work, focusing on intergenerational healing amongst Black women and girls. And so the Black woman who I am now is rooted in ancestral knowing, ancestral memory, spirituality, and a God that I really created for myself. My name is Khadija Abdul-Mateen, and that is my testimony. Wow, a huge thank you to Khadija for sharing her amazing testimony. We're taking a quick break, but stay where you are. The fellowship is coming right up next. Khadija, Adija, welcome. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited you're here. I think your testimony is so necessary for just everybody today. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. So I want to start from what is seemingly the beginning. How did your parents get together? Tea, honey. Yes, give the tea. My mom and dad was Muslim when I was born. Oh, wow. And then my mom had a call from God and was like, all right, I actually got to be Christian again. Wow. But they stayed together. And I only remember bits and pieces of that when I was younger. Like I remember um, going to the, the masjid with both of them. After that, my dad would come to church sporadically. He was coming there to please us. But yeah, that's how they met. It's been a journey experiencing God through them. How did your father's family respond to your mom converting back, I guess, to Christianity? So my dad also came from a Christian family, but not really. I don't believe that it was like a sort of like a rough evangelical Christian type family, go to church every Sunday type family. He found community in the Islamic community. He was a part of the Nation of Islam. 
And then he reverted to Orthodox Islam, just like Malcolm X, more uh, connected to, you know, the Islamic tradition around the world, um, but very much rooted in the Black experience here in America. My father's family didn't, they weren't deeply, heavily into religious practices themselves. Did your parents ever discuss with you how they felt about each other's religious practices? I knew how they felt by the way they interacted with one another. So it wasn't always a flow. Sometimes there were conflicts around God. I wouldn't say they would necessarily sit us down and say, hey, here's my take and here's my take. It all existed within the culture of the home. When my dad called the Adan, which is the call of prayer, the house is silent. So that's reverence. That's respect. I see that. My mom playing her gospel music loud. You know, my dad just walked throughout the, out the house and just do his own thing. It was mostly in the culture of the home. Are you aware of either one of them at any point just ever asking the other to be on one accord with their belief? Maybe giving up part of what they believe to be more in sync. I'm not aware that they had that conversation. I know that it was a desire for my mom, for my dad to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And I know that my mom's belief was that she wanted her whole family to be saved, which included her husband. And I really have never thought of my dad ever becoming a Christian. I just knew that wasn't who he was. So if anything was to shift, it would have been my mom. It wouldn't have been my dad. So you mentioned you're from New Orleans. Which, let me tell you something, I can eat my way through New Orleans. Listen, I'm a witness. Gumbo. Beignets. Po' boys. Oysters. I might gain 20 just thinking about it. But growing up in New Orleans and also going to Oakland, do you feel like being in those two places, did they have any sort of impact on the religions in your home? You know, New Orleans is very spiritual, but it's also very like Catholic and also very Christian. So I was born in New Orleans. I moved and stayed to Oakland, maybe permanently when I was around 12 years old. A lot of my beliefs came from my family on my mother's side in New Orleans. And they were very much just like my mom, like evangelical Christians. And a lot of the practices in New Orleans was also a lot of the practices in, in the house, like in My mom, just as much as my mom played loud music, my grandmother did the exact same thing. And it was the exact same culture with like any other type of music. So whether that was blues, whether that was second line music, whether that was, you know, all of that. I learned more about the Islamic tradition in Oakland because we were rooted in an Islamic community in Oakland. And so I really felt the presence of the Islamic community and I really grew within the community more so in Oakland. And they're still a family to me now than I was in New Orleans. And also that's where the social justice also came from, moving to Oakland. And the link between Islam and social justice was true to me. And I, I really, it really captured the essence of like who my father was when I moved to Oakland. We brought New Orleans to Oakland with us in our home. Yeah, I live in New Orleans now and it's definitely the most African city <laughs> in the States. And then Oakland, you've got it as the birthplace of the Panthers. So it just feels like two very Black, very rich 
and culture. So it's like these twin cities raised you. And speaking of twins, you are a twin. What has it been like to carve out your own beliefs independent of your twin sister and your other siblings? I went to divinity school. My other siblings didn't. I went to divinity school because I had questions. And I knew that there was one God, but there was a part of me that saw two my whole life. I went to reconcile that. My first year in divinity school, I I was like, I'm confused. It was sort of like an isolating experience within the family because I had a lot of questions and I wasn't backing down because it was something so deep that I wanted to reconcile within myself. And more so, I wanted to know that my father was okay because he had passed away a Muslim and I wanted to reconcile that in my heart, that he was still okay with God because Christianity had taught me something different. By the time I left divinity school, I was able to envision one God and my family came around and it, and it was such a beautiful thing because my family started to see you don't have to choose. Like, it's okay to be who we are and exist the way, the way that we do. And then with my twin sister and I, about last year, we sort of felt, and this is more, you know, Islam, Christianity, but more of like the spiritual aspect as well, like just dealing with spirit itself. We felt ourselves sort of like energetically and spiritually, more energetically, like moving apart. And we never felt anything like that ever in our life. We were like, well, what is this? So we felt that we were separate beings. I feel like I'm Khadija an individual, and she now feels like she's Zakia individual. And this happened within the past two years, really. And so now we're forming our individual relationship with God. Like she has her own relationship and intimacy with God that I don't know of. And then I have my own. Before that, it was very much together. So in divinity school, you started stripping everything away and recreating who God was to you. What is that? Who is God to you now? I'm hesitant to say this, but I see myself as a part of God. If God created me and I come from God, then I have to also be a God being. And so the way that I worship is I go within, but then I also like imagine that same oneness with having my grandmother's old hymns as being a part of it. Like that didn't come out of me, but that came out of my grandmother and out of my grandmother's God, which is also now my God, because I I took something from her. God for me is like my father's Adan, the the call to prayer is my mother's tongues and shouts. And so because I see myself as also a God being, I see them the exact same way. And so I don't have to separate all of the things and all of the ways that they experienced God and passed on to me. Now I can compilate those all together. And now this is who God is to me. And, and God feels so personal, so warm, so intimate, so non-judgmental, so freeing, so liberating. That's how it should be. It's a relationship. Yeah, it's a relationship. It's super cute. I love that for Black girls and Black women. So, Khadija, tell us, how do you practice your faith now since recreating it? I have an altar. And on my altar, I have my daddy's Quran. And I have my Bible that I bought a long time ago, maybe like 10 years ago, open to Psalms 91. And I sit at my altar every morning and... 
I, I close my eyes and I pray. I, first, I read Psalms 91 and then I say that Fatiha, which is a prayer that Muslims say, my dad always said, before anything. I do both of those things to invite God in. And then I pray as if I'm like talking. I listen to gospel in worship because worship does things to me. I can't say I have a church home. I visit church every now and then here in Harlem, but the religious home that I have is in the Islamic community and that's at home with Imam Fahim Shuwaid in East Oakland. And so that's the my only religious home that I have is actually within the um, Muslim community. So that's what my worship looks like. There was a period of time during the pandemic when we were having church on Instagram Live, child. That was a season. Remember, I'll be in the morning. You, y'all be in the afternoon. That was a season. Yes, just getting up and meditation is also a part of like my worship too. Like just being silent. You know, a lot of people probably won't name that as worship, but it really is. Like you really experience God in the quietness. Thank you for naming that, Khadija, because you just gave us this gorgeous litany of ways that you practice your spirituality. And I know, I'm not a betting women no more, but if I were, I would put a million dollars on the fact that there are listeners listening to your story right now who love meditation, who started their ancestral altar in their suitcase in their closet, who pull tarot cards but hide them when mama comes over because even though it's drawing them closer to God, there's a bit of a stigma attached to some of these non-churchy ways of being, right? Yeah. I also would like to thank you for even mentioning silence. A lot of people feel like to worship, they need to be talking and you can really just sit. You can just go on and hush and just be. But I wanted to ask you, because I love worship, particularly singing worship songs. That's one of my favorite moments of just really feeling like I'm inviting the presence of God just where I am. You spoke about your grandmother's hymns. Is there a particular one that you love? My grandmother had this really deep voice. Her voice was deep, but also raspy. And she sung, the blood will never lose its power. I can't really do it the way that she do it, but she's like, it reaches to the, and then her head will go back to the highest. That song does something to me. Yeah. Yes. Because she always talk about how the blood never loses power. My grandmother, she always believed that. And it didn't matter what she went through. It didn't matter what she didn't have. If she can sing, it reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. And to carry that within my spirit, within my soul, and to be the one who grew up with this image of two gods. I don't know how, if you understand. Oh, yeah, I'm really crying here. You have tear ducts for a reason. <laughs> Thank you. How profound it is to imagine two gods and then to have one. You can't understand that unless you lived it to embody two gods and then to have one. It's a beautiful thing. And so to have that song also now be a part of this experience with this one God, with this one image to say the blood would never lose its power. And for that to be not only on one side of the fence, but it's like all the way around in my life. 
from the moment when I was exploring and trying to figure myself out, it still does the same thing for me. And it still is the same thing for me. That would always be my favorite hymn, period. (laughs) That is beautiful. Is there a favorite prayer of yours from your father's tradition? I'll say it in Arabic. In my father's parent Arabic, it goes, "Audu balamine shaitan rajim, Bismillah rahman rahim, Alhamdulillah rabbi alamin rahman rahim, Maliki yomidim, Iyakhe na habura iyakhe na sa'im, Edine sarata mustakim, Sarata aladine na inta alayhim, God really might do we alayhim with a darling, Amin. And what that says is, God, thank you. It says, make sure that I am in alignment with those who are most in alignment with you. May I be in alignment and follow the steps of those who follow you, that you are the God of judgment. The prayer is so familiar to the Our Father prayer to me. But it's so essential in saying, like, basically, God, lead me in the right path. Lead me in the path of righteousness. Lead me in the path of the righteous one. Do that for me so I can continue to be of service to you. And my dad always said that prayer. And then he would end with praying for his parents and praying for all of his family. Thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. I appreciate both of you so much. Thank you so much for this space. I've learned so much from you, my sister. Thank you for being here. I know your story is going to impact so many people. I'm glad I get to share it. A huge thank you to Khadijah for sharing her story. We're coming back right after this with The Offering. Wow, wow. I am so grateful Mm -hmm. that God will allow us to experience God in a multiplicity of ways. Mm -hmm. And what Khadijah inspires in me is that it's okay to be spiritually fluid. It's okay to take this part of your faith tradition, the hymns, the Psalms. It's okay to take apart from here, the prayers, the social justice and love for Black people and create your own spiritual practice from that because God is big enough to be both and God is big enough for it all. And you get to do what works for you as long as it is authentic, ethical and aligned and you ain't harming nobody else, girl. Do you. (laughs) Yeah. And ask your questions. At the end of the day, what you believe should be based on your own, your own seek and find your own relationship. It can't be based on anybody else's because you are an individual and you have different needs from everybody else. And so be okay with them. Search for them. And I truly believe that when you search for God in earnest, you find God. And where God is, there is love. And so your search may lead you one place. Someone else's search may lead them somewhere else. In the midst of all that, there should be love. And I felt love from Khadijah. I felt so much peace. 
I felt so much reverence. It was really, really beautiful. It was sacred. Yeah. Our tears are sacred. Our prayers are sacred. Our singing, don't matter if you can sing down like DJ <laughs> or you hold a note steady like LaVon, right? <laughs> it's sacred. And so as we remember to engage in activities that rebind us and refasten us to God, remember God is big enough for all of the rebinding and the refastening that you need. And if you don't find love where you are, that ain't where God is. Well, you know where they going to find it, DJ? Here at Sanctified. <laughs> Period. You already know, okay? It's time to get sanctified. It's time to get sanctified. It's time to get sanctified. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's our service for today, y'all. Y'all make sure y'all come back next week and rebind and refasten with me and DJ, okay? In the meantime, in between time, you can email us at sanctified at unbotherednetwork.com and let us know what other topics you like to hear covered on this show because y'all know we are all about community honey it's up the community for me so <laughs> thank y'all for listening and remember beloved one you are worthy sanctified is a spotify original series produced in partnership with jamel hill's unbothered network lodge freeway media and exit 39 hosted by deborah joy winans and levon briggs from Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39, executive producers are Jamel Hill and Evan Dick. Head of content for Unbothered is Christina Tapper. Head of network operations is Rich Burner. Creative producer is Ashley J. Hobbs. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. Creative executive is Grace Delia. Senior program manager is Jessica Dow. And program manager is Jenna Lonergan. Special thanks to all the cross-functional teams at Spotify that helped bring this program to life. This episode includes original music produced by Cheyenne G. New episodes of Sanctified come out every Wednesday, only on Spotify. So be sure to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode.